Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CJMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just want to thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map, starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, and welcome back to Digital Artcast. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, as I always say with most of these episodes, I hope you guys are staying productive and safe uh, during this unprecedented time uh, that we're going through right now. Um, wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're 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 listening and you're happy and uh, you're enjoying your day to day. And uh, I'm just glad that you guys can be around here to to listen uh, and take part in in this collective that is now Digital Artcast. 
um thanks out to the the couple of guys that have been in discord suggesting guests uh, i'm definitely taking note of those and making a small list and trying to get people organized and involved uh, but again with the way the world is and with time zones it's difficult to get everybody on the same schedule so i am working on that i'm uh, reacting to your feedback and uh, uh, hopefully it will happen soon with uh, with certain guests i'm just waiting to hear back um, as always with with these podcasts um, i do try and source some of the best people i can um, and hopefully when their schedule frees up i can get them uh, uh, on the podcast to, to chat um, this particular guest we've had on or are going to have on today is someone i've admired for a long time uh, within the industry um, on, on multiple aspects of their discipline and also things i've been involved in um, and it's just been a great uh, opportunity now to get them involved today uh, and talk uh, about their journey particularly and uh, the things they're doing currently in the industry and hopefully you guys can learn and grow as always from these conversations and again if you have any feedback or any questions leave it down in the description below um today uh, i'm very honored to welcome along uh someone like i said i've admired for a while and and again i hope you guys find it interesting but today we're talking to mr clinton crumpler hey clinton how's it going good man how's it going yeah decent decent thanks for uh, thanks for being involved thanks for being on yeah definitely thanks for having me yeah of course uh so uh you know i think i'm more aware of you at the moment because of uh, my involvement in 3d and, and, and prop making and stuff like that but uh for people who don't know um what is your kind of current job title or what, what is it your kind of day-to-day is at the moment yeah for sure so uh currently i'm the uh, studio owner and uh, creative director at decagon studios uh and that's mostly like uh, I deal with like operations, uh, art direction, dealing with clients, uh, working with a lot of the artists that we have. Um, I'm kind of the intermediary, intermediary between like a lot of the client uh, communication we have. So then we bring on new clients and like what they're essentially looking for and then es- helping establish their art direction. Uh, and then just kind of helping make sure the artists kind of understand that that kind of path moving forward as well. Uh, and working with those leads to kind of carry out those uh, the, the rec- client requests and whatnot. Yeah. And then again, this is, uh, I mean, I say it's fairly new, you know, within the last couple of years, but then, you know, you've obviously had a, a whole education and a whole uh, career uh, separate from that as well, where you started, because this isn't where you've, you can, this isn't your first point. Um, so with you within art, what was your kind of journey in? Did you traditionally go to school for it? Did you self-teach? Like, what was your kind of journey in? Yeah, for sure. So I would say my uh, kind of passage was, I'd say more of a traditional one, but at the time there, there wasn't a lot of schools that offered, um, any kind of 3d application. So when I started, I wanted to get into games, but I wasn't quite sure the route. So uh, I went to school for four years for, um, uh, bachelor's in graphic design. And then I, I had gotten through that. And then I, it's kind of funny that it took me four years to realize, but then I was like, this isn't really what I want to do. I like graphic design and I like the practice of graphic design. But 2D is kind of, I like I like the 2D space, but I also still felt, felt kind of confined. So I felt mm-hmm. like I wanted to explore. I kept hearing about Maya and Rhino at the time and a kind of a lot of stuff like that. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, I kind of want to explore that a little further. So I decided to go back to school um, and I applied to go to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design down in Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And there I went for, um, I went for two years for another animation degree uh, at bachelor's. And then after spending, of course, a bunch of money to go to school, I realized that wasn't quite what I still wanted to do. So uh, I spent a little more money and went a little bit more in debt. And I uh, got my master's in uh, interactive and game design. And that's I, that's where I really found my passion, I think, is that when I 
had finished my animation degree, I was like, well, it, it's really not the characters and the animation that I like. It's more the uh, the actual actual creating the spaces that those characters live in, and that 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 kind of led me down the environment art path. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you got there eventually. I mean, it's it's a it's a thirty second talk, but that was a a multi year journey, right? Something yeah. You started and, yeah. So a lot For involved. Sure. But yeah. I mean, like yeah, I think something that I've found even within 2D still, but which also exists, I think is, has an easier point of access than 2D with 3D is world building and environment design and, and creating just landscapes for people, which I think is great. So, you know, you've done all the education side of it. You've, you've built your, your early career. So what was the first kind of stuff you were doing professionally? What were your first kind of, you know, were you, yeah. were you straight into AAA design or did you start with small indie studios or? No, so I, yeah, it was definitely like, I found that I did, I do, I took the same path. A lot of people I still think take today, which is like starting with a lot of freelance work and then like, mm-hmm. uh, kind of working myself up so I could get more of a portfolio. So my first yeah. job, uh, so when I first was applying, I probably applied over a hundred places, uh, legitimately like a hundred. I'm not even exaggerating because <laughs> yeah, I was, I kind of worked my way down from like the most wanted to like, I yeah. guess I'll work here. You know, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, I got, a, I got two offers at the time. One was, uh, for a, um, commercial, uh, car part company in Germany. And I think it was in Berlin. And then the other one yeah. was for the army game studio. And that was in Alabama in the United States. And so, I, uh, apologies for my dog. <laughs> so, uh, <good. laughs> so, uh, I decided like, I was like, okay, well I can either go in the modeling route, which is like the car part direction, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And they would need, need to go to Berlin and stuff like that. Right. But then I was like, well, I, it's not really what I want to do as a focus. Uh, right. and so I was like, oh, hold on a second. Let me, so I had the decision between, uh, going with, making 3d for cars or working at the army game studio and working on propaganda games. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm sort of a pacifist. So it was kind of a weird decision. Cause I was like, I don't really want to work for the army, but I yeah. also really want to make video games and not necessarily make like car parts. So I made the decision to be like, okay, I think every, so I think a lot of people advise me at the time. They're like, your first job is never going to be the job that you're like, this was my dream job. It's going to be a job. That's like a stepping stone onto the path of greater jobs. Yeah. Now I'll say that the the when I went so I ended up picking Army Game Studio and I would say it was a great first experience because I I learned a ton at the time uh, I was working with really really nice people like everyone there was really enjoyable mm-hmm. uh, and the project was actually working in Unreal so it was enjoyable to like get my foot in the door kind of get that first step in there and just to kind of like practice working in a studio and things like that mm-hmm. and it was at a low risk because we we're just working on like propaganda games and things like that so. Uh, that was my first gig. And then from there, I think for the next nine months, I knew that wasn't my long-term goal. So for the next nine months, I, I literally just sat every night after work and just worked in my portfolio to like try to get my skill even higher. So after about nine months, I applied for a studio gig in um, San Francisco. And that's when I got the job at uh, Kicksai Entertainment and they're in um, downtown San Francisco. And I, that's the first time I'd even gone to the West Coast uh, in the United States. So I was like super excited and went for the interview. And they called me like a week later and then I just like basically sold everything I had. I had $25 left in my name <laughs> and I was like, guess I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, man, I was just really glad I made that, that decision. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I feel like each step progressively after that was just like another step in just trying to do what I think made me happy. Like, um, I got like further in my career. I had another offer to like 
either go work on Gears of War in uh, Vancouver, which was like a long time game that I'd, I'd love forever since like a, since Gears 1 and 2, yeah. or work at a studio in San Francisco that was like a startup. And the startup was going to pay like four times more. But I was like, it's all about, I kept reminding myself, it's all about what you enjoy doing. And I, as long as you stick to that kind of principle, you'll find that each step you make is a good one. Because like I decided, I ended up going with Gears and man, I was just way happier. Like in the long run, I was just way more pleased. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, yeah. you guys can see my name. I'm holding up my Gears of War 3 limited edition because I'm also yeah. a very long time to support all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just yeah, it was just such a it was just such a joy to work on that game, and I would honestly look back at my career, and that was that was probably my favorite game I've ever got to work on. So yeah. I was really happy that I made that decision. Yeah, I mean the, arch- the architectural design and the environment design of those games has always been just groundbreaking. I mean, uh, say what you want about the story or the direction that the games take, but just aesthetically, they've always been beautiful games that to, to just walk through and take in. And it's a weird thing when you're a gamer and you start working on games and you start walking through worlds, and then you just stop every two minutes and being like. Oh wow! Like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's, for sure. Yeah, and crazy. I mean, it, they have such they have such a neat art style in that game that makes mm-hmm. it fun as an artist to play with because there's like defined rules, but there's mm-hmm. also like uh like a a suspension of disbelief as to how ridiculous you can get with it. So it makes yeah. it fun as an artist to like know like oh Victorian plus like kind of steampunk plus like gears and like all the stuff, yeah. but like you could also get wild with it, which is really fun. So I, yeah, I just really enjoyed the art style on that one for sure. Yeah, and that was with uh, that was a coalition, right? That was that was when co- kinda... yeah the coalition in Vancouver. Yeah, that was uh, they, after they split from Epic, right? They were kind of like a separate day. Yeah, right. correct. Yeah. yeah. So that was like when they first started working on Gears 4, I, I joined mm-hmm. on right after they showed the trailer. I think it was at E3 that year. With the, okay. It was like when the, the outdoor, like kind of darker one, and they were like walking around with JD. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I, I joined on right after that, and I worked on 4, and then I worked on, uh, I'd say, the first six months of 5 before I departed there. Right. And then did you go, I mean, me not knowing, but did you go straight from Coalition to running Decagon? Was that like a straight transition? No, no. So I worked. So I, uh, at the end of my career at the coalition, uh, on mm-hmm. gears five, I actually was working as an independent contractor on gears four. And then in gears mm-hmm. five, I basically, uh, prepositioned to Microsoft. Uh, I was like, Hey, I want to keep working with you guys, but I, I actually want to be hired as a studio. And they were like, okay, like, like, sure. Why, why is that? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, because I, I'd like to like have maybe potentially other people under my studio that would also work with you guys. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like that seems of interest to like mm-hmm. have a group of artists that you're like looking over or whatnot. And so, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of branched out into them hiring me as an individual, uh, as Decagon at first. And right. that was kind of like the first stepping stone into like furthering that kind of relationship with them. And also like, you know, getting additional clients after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was kind of like with the first six months. And then after that, I was contacted by uh, a studio down in Seattle, Midwinter Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that was for a game called Scavengers. And I worked on that game for, I think almost two and a half, two and a half years, I'd say. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was also contracted through Decacon. So like I right. was the primary lead that worked on that. But then I also had, I think anywhere from like, depending on what point of the project we were on, anywhere from like. Uh, I'd say like four to like anywhere, to, I think upwards to like 15 or maybe even 20 people at some point working on that project wow. with me. And that was all yeah. through Decagon, working with them on their environments uh, overall. So, I mean, that would have been quite a jump as well, because did you have experience previously before going into Decagon or being hired as a studio? Did you have experience like 
leading a team like you know uh heading up studios and or like you know just like organizing work and because i mean you're also like you know as well as an artist and an art director role you're also kind of like a producer in a sense as well where you're organizing daily tasks and making sure people are checking in and i mean is that something that you just dived head first in here yeah i mean i think i think i got a lot of like micro exposure to it throughout my career like a lot of people were like oh why didn't you just do decking around right away it's like no nah, you you got a, <laughs> a lot of things to learn before you even get to that point of like understanding yeah, yeah, how yeah. to like approach it and so like of course i'd say like at microsoft we did a lot of like interaction and working with like outsource development teams or like co-development teams and right. so I think that helped kind of build my understanding of like how that relationship works and like, you know, estimates and like knowing like how much things cost and things like that to get made. And then continuing from there, working with Midwinter allowed me a bit more of a direct interaction where I'm also working on the team while kind of a hybrid, like I was kind of a hybrid role because I was still part of the Midwinter Entertainment team, but I was also like leading Decagon. So it, right. it allowed me that kind of point where I where I was like kind of like in between for a while enough to learn the ropes for both. And then I could kind of like make the stepping off point after I'd left departed midwinter entertainment to be like, okay, I fully get the process. I know how it works. And that's, that's when we started, I would say really heavily contracting with like multiple studios. And so at that point I would say Decagon was only contracting with around two to three clients. And mm-hmm. then we had gotten to a point after we'd left midwinter that we were con- contracting with like six to seven sometimes. Wow. Wow. And then like now I take it like that's just exponentially just jumped as well. Like that's, yeah, it just went on and on and on. So, I mean, like, and then the teams are, are you kind of dealing with the same kind of team sizes right now? Or are you, or again, is that jumped up? Is that grown? It kind of all depends on the project. Like we'll have sometimes a project that we'll uh, get contracted for that only requires a few artists because they're only looking for a certain, you know, like a small scene or or like a few assets. Yeah. And then we'll also have clients that are like, no, I need like 40 people and it's like okay i mean we'll have to look a little bit but like you'll get to that a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like it does take a little bit of work to get uh to that point and like to find and work with the biggest thing for me is like working with like like talented and trustworthy artists but also like international artists like i love that um essentially decagon is like completely international and completely remote like there's no right you know, place in which we all congregate. And so yeah. besides our like discord community. So I, I find yeah. that that's my favorite part about it is it's like, everyone's international. There's like varying degrees of like talent skill set that we have throughout the studio. And then like, yeah, it's like people that have been there for our, like, I have people that are there from day one, still working with us and people that are coming on still to like, just yesterday kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, which is great. I mean, I mean, it's always great when you get to just get people opportunities like that all the time. And I mean, it's interesting. I think with with Decagon, a lot of the guys I've seen who work with you are people who also hold down like full time jobs and Mm -hmm. will work with you on the side and and project sense as well, which is which is crazy because it's 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 a good way of just diversifying your income also. But then just getting loads of experience on different projects because uh, people probably work within one project will also get an opportunity to dive in and do something. I mean when I was at Axis way back when I did my internship, I know a lot of the guys spoke about how it was great. They could work there for like six months to a year and work on like seven different projects with different people, like this thing for Blizzard, this thing for Magic the Gathering, this thing for Riot Games, like, you know, and then that would just fill the resume up and down. So, I mean, what has you think been the biggest change from where you kind of started to where you are now? Do you still have the same driving function business-wise or do you feel like you're, or even during the pandemic, it's changed? I mean, that's kind of a loaded question, but I'm trying to maybe understand what your focus is in now versus then yeah i would say like it it's interesting like i i talked to i talked to a good friend of mine about this the other day that it's like Mm -hmm. as you kind of age into your career you kind of go typically one of 
two paths, I feel like as an artist. And Mm -hmm. I would say neither is a wrong path, but you kind of start out your career with just wanting to learn. Like you want to learn as much art content as you can, like the ability, your skills, you want want to understand like how to do anything, you know? And as you kind of grow, you either go one of two paths. And one of the paths is basically like you at the, at first you want to, you want to enhance yourself. And then you Mm -hmm. get to a junction where you want to further enhance yourself to the point of like, you know, being like an absolute like God of art, or you want to enhance others to, so that they can reach their potential. Right. And so I, I feel like what I like about the junction I'm at right now is I get a little bit of both of those because I, I can continue to still develop my art, yeah. but I also really get love the opportunity to work with artists as a either, like you were saying, like as like, you know, weekend and midnight warriors that are working with us like in their off time or people yeah. that are using Decagon as like a stepping stone to further their career to get into like larger studios. So like yeah. seeing those successes just it's just like, like honestly like one of my favorite parts of the day like I, I love seeing like artists work with us become successful and then like move on to what their dream job was or what they studio they want to work at or whatever uh yeah. but then also I, getting to have so many projects that we work on i really enjoy working with like artists as an artist myself working with those mm-hmm. artists on like projects that we're all collectively working on and like getting to work on a bunch of like diverse content where it's like on gears gears is great but you work on gears for like three or four years and you're kind of like I've done a lot of gear stuff, <laughs> you know, you're like, it's fun, but it's like, okay, like, let's do something, let's do something new. And so yeah. with Decagon, you get that opportunity, like probably every couple of months because a new project mm-hmm. will roll around and it's completely different than the last kind of thing. I mean, it's just kind of atypical of an outsource studio, right? Because you're, you're a, a, a gun for hire. So you just go where the, the projects are the most interesting and the most, the ones you want to can tackle. But yeah, I think it's, I, I definitely have a, <clears throat> a couple of uh, friends, uh, even at 343, shout out to Ro, um, for guys who have worked on like sci-fi stuff for a long time and then in their spare time they try to do more organic stuff because it just it itches that thing that they want to do just be, to be different, to change up what they're doing. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's hard to, it's a hard industry to even describe to people I know externally to the industry because they're kind of like, you feel like when you have a job, you do the same, the same thing for 40 years almost. It used to be the, the the whole structure of you would have one job, you'd have that till you retired, and then that would be you. But within this industry, you are a 3D artist per se, but then, like you said, you can change to art director, mentor, you know, uh, team lead, you know, principal artist. There's so many directions you can span out, and I think that's why so many people, especially creative people, love it, because you're never bogged down to just one thing or just one project and and i think with decagon you've you've hit the nail on your head it's like you could be there a year and work on six or seven different things um so yeah i mean also impressive that you not only run decagon day-to-day do those things work on those projects but you know if you look through your portfolio as well you've you've pumped out a, a couple of great assets and scenes and stuff over the time that you've had with decagon and of course, you've got a young family. Congratulations on that, by the way. And, you know, you've just moved house as well. So are you finding, like, the balance is getting more and more difficult as you're moving on in your career? Or do you still feel like you've got a good handle on it? Yeah, I would definitely say it It definitely comes to a point where you you kind of have to you kind of have to determine what's important to you. And I think there, there comes a point in any person's career where there's going to be either, like, fame, glory, and money in front of you or, like, mental stability to the left, you know? (laughs) So you kind of have to like make that decision as you kind of go through those issues. And I, I would say like over, like definitely like there was, there was, there's been junctions in Decagon where I've had to ramp down a bit just for my own personal health to, to maintain my own sanity because like there'd be a project come up. That's like, Oh man, this reboot of this game. That's like, you know, 
that I can't wait to come out. And it's like, I'd love to work on that. But also it's like, I literally just can't take on another project right now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you're just like, "Uh, all right, I'm going to have to pass, unfortunately. But it's just like, you kind of have to make those decisions. And it's like, when you're presented with those opportunities, it's great. But I think the important thing that you learn as you kind of, you go on in your career is that like, there will always be another opportunity. Don't feel like if you're shooting down this opportunity, that's it. Like you'll never get to work in this town again. Kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. People, are, when you're young, you're always afraid of that. You're always like, oh, if I turn this down, like <laughs> no one's going to want to work with me or like, I'm not going to get this yeah. thing I want. And it's like, it's like a common fear and like everyone has it. But I yeah. will promise you that there will always be something else around the corner. As long as your portfolio yeah. is good and you're updating that content, there's always going to be something else that comes up. So I think like just maintaining that understanding and like, realizing like, is this a good time to take this extra project on? Or do I need this extra money right now? Or should I take a little family time? Or should I do something like that for sure? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, games and movies to an extent will always, like, entertainment is always going to be around. I mean, the money they make now, it's never going to end. It's only going to get exponentially bigger. And like you said, if you're, if you're, especially like you talked about with like portfolio and timing and, and you have a good body of work, but as long as you're also just a decent human being and oh, definitely good, good to work with. I mean, I know, I've even seen guys walk into studios and jobs that, you know, their stuff wasn't spectacular. It wasn't, you know, incredible, but they were just good. They were just decent people and they would go to events and talk and the guys would be like, oh, this is like a really nice dude. Like he's fun to be around. And, you know, and I think that's also one of the biggest things you'll probably look for in Dickigan as well is just decent human beings that you can have a conversation with and and, and can take feedback and can be level-headed. And, and that's something I'm even right now because I'm not teaching people, but I'm, I'm helping some smaller students like guys who are you know like i'm talking guys that are, you know they're just leaving university like they're just getting started and i'm trying to help them out and um yeah that's the biggest thing i try to convey to them is that your portfolio can be stellar but if you're not a stellar person and then you know there's got to be a balance there where you're also just a, a great human being yeah oh hands down like that's that i i i would say that's like honestly to me as I've, especially as i've gotten older like the people you work with make or break your day and it's like oh, yeah. if even if you're working next to like a superstar, if they're an asshole, it doesn't matter. If like they're an <laughs> asshole. Like that's the, that's the end of it. Like yeah. hands down, like we've had people in Decagon that have come through that like have had great work, but they mm-hmm. just were so challenging to work with or they just were so disagreeable or they just like just argumentative or like mm-hmm. through blame to other people so regularly that it just like, mm-hmm. I, I, at the point of the day, I, I don't care. Like I'd rather work yeah. with someone that was nice that had less lesser quality work yeah. Even if they had a higher rate, like, because like yeah, at, yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, like I like working with that person and it makes, yeah. it makes all of our lives easier and therefore like a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah. Someone always told me that you can, you can teach the tools easy enough when people get in studios, but you kind of teach people to be kind. Like it's, it's just a, a life skill that is unteachable. You're either, you're either a good person usually or you're not. And you know, people can sometimes be rough around the edges, but if their heart's in the right place, you can see past that. But like you said, people are just fly out dicks, then you just can't have that in a studio environment because games are so much a, a, a team collaborative effort, right? They're just so much of other people around you. You can't function as a, an island, essentially. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so when it comes to Decagon especially, what's the kind of things that, apart from also being a great person, are things that you look for within teams or within structure and prop artists? Because I'm assuming it's just specifically prop environment artists you're looking for or do you do 2d outsourcing as well that's something else you're doing or is it yeah i mean i think it all depends on like the project's needs like sometimes it will come up that we lead like like for instance without saying project names or anything like that like yeah, we've yeah. had we've had need for like randomly like like cloth gym people recently mm-hmm. or like ui people like that happens mm-hmm. like here and there it's not as common yeah. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing with like guns, like things like that. It just all depends on the, the project mm-hmm. needs itself. Um, but right. yeah, I would say the biggest things I look for is like uh, when I'm looking at portfolios is like one is a big one is consistency. Like mm-hmm. if I look at the first three assets and like all of them have like different style, normal bakes or like errors and then like texture seams and then the other ones don't, they look like perfect. Yeah. Like it's just like kind of a weird consistency between the assets. That's mm-hmm. always something that kind of throws up a red flag for me. So I'm always aware of that. And then like, I think more recently in years, I've, I'm always looking for like like color corrected PBR values because a lot of people, I would say like juniors especially will come into the industry and they'll be like, oh cool, like I'm going to make this metal and I'm going to make it super black because it looks dark in this picture. And it's like, yeah. they're not actually like looking at any chart or understanding like the real true value of anything. So I think that's mm-hmm. a that's a big one to always I always check for. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would just say like generally like creative approach. Like when we, like, so Decagon gives out art tests. We give paid art tests and mm-hmm. we make sure that, you know, we pay their person for their time just as if they were working with us just to get a feel of like how it is to work with them, the skill they give, stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm, app- I'm applauding Clinton for that. So pay for your art test for God's sake, please. <laughs> right, exactly. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to occupy your time, at least I can do is pay you. So like, yeah. that, that, I totally agree. And also we, we give short art tests. It's just an asset. So it's nothing yeah. like that's going to take like multiple weeks of your time. I think that's crazy yeah. when people give out these like week long art, art tests. <laughs> yeah. So with that, it's like essentially when we get those, we're looking to make sure that the artist has enough creativity to derive information from an image and an idea. So like if I show you a picture of a like a Western shelf and I say, I want this to look old from an old Western film and you make up the rest. If the artist can't, without asking like a, maybe a question or two, if they can't get that idea across without having to like be handheld, I think that's always a big red flag as well too. It's like, because when you're working with a client, multiple times a client's going to give you notes like, here's four things I want in this asset. Here's a quick reference image or concept image that was quickly sketched. And it's like, mm-hmm. you figure out the rest. And it's like, yeah, no client nor any team lead is going to have time to like go over every aspect that you might have with that. So there's going to need to be some kind of creative approach to anything that you're creating as an artist. And so that makes you more hireable overall is that you can look at something derive your own ideas, understand context clues, and just like make the content without having to have an extreme amount of like instructional provided, you know, information provided to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those are probably the major ones I look for. We do, we do do like full environment stuff. So I think people that have a decent understanding of like importing in Unreal and like building right. a scene is really helpful because it shows that they understand what context is about like how the asset will be used because sometimes mm-hmm. people will get like, so hyper detailed that they'll be like, oh, let me make this like jar. And then they'll be like, okay, I made this jar 50,000 polys. And it's like, you made it what? <laughs> and it's like, you realize this jar is like in the third person game on a shelf in a corner in a dark room. Like, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. you don't have to go to that extent, man. It's not that, not that heavy. Yeah. So it's like just realizing like it's proper use and like context overall. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's one of these things that you can learn to model in Maya, right? Or Max or Blender, whatever the hell you're using. Um, and then, of course, when it gets to a point where you're then putting stuff into the engine, that's where people fall down because they don't understand how things function within the world space, right? Because, like, yeah, I've made this prop in Maya, and this is the best jar ever. Like, it's got so many verts, and it looks super smooth and everything. But, yeah, you fire that in the Unreal Engine with 50,000, and then the main character's sitting there like, well, what, I'm not important to you? What, what am I joke to you? Like, you know, yeah. it's like you have to have put everything in context. And I think it's... It's it's a double-sided coin, right? I mean, I've had this conversation many times with people where I talk about 
the idea that the industry is almost too difficult to get in and is too hard on, on juniors and stuff like that. But like, you know, I think there's there's a give and take because you don't have to be good at everything when you're a junior, right? You don't have to be able to like work on real great, work substance great, work migrate. You know, as long as you have a base understanding of everything in a scale of a pipeline, you know, like oh, I can import stuff into Unreal, I can kind of texture stuff in substance and I understand how layers work. And I can also build verts and stuff in Maya with like, you know, high to low bakes and if you have that kind of base foundation, then people will kind of overlook certain things. Like, okay, he's not amazing in Unreal, but we can teach that to him. We can kind of walk him through bits and pieces or show him this thing that we teach him. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a trade-off where you're trying to hire people also and give people opportunities versus, like, not shooting yourself in the foot for future client work. It's a very hard balance to strike because you were there once, right? You were a junior. You were just starting out. You know what it's like when you're trying to get your first job. I mean, I've literally just crossed the threshold of getting my first gig in the industry and getting paid work and I'm now full time but like yeah for many years I was freelancing or doing stuff for free and, and try to build up my portfolio do you still take on like as many junior roles or do you feel like the work you're taking on now like there needs to be like the bar has raised there's like a, almost a higher level now um I think the it's it's weird right because it's like I think when when I like when I first started, there was like maybe two websites that you could like get the information if you couldn't get it from like a professor. You would like be like, right. okay, I, I guess I'll go look at these one of two websites and hope that maybe yeah. one of them has this information that I'm looking for or how yeah, to yeah, yeah. perform out properly. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think because the threshold of the amount of content that is available for learners to get yep. om- almost for free entirely, like there's so much free content at this point that you can go to that mm-hmm. I think that unless someone is really is really digging into those they're going to kind of do themselves a, a, an injustice because mm-hmm. I think those things alone raise your skill level to a certain degree like like when I it's funny to me like sometimes you'll have a person that's trying to get an unreal job and I'll be like oh well have you like cracked any like open uh, any of the free unreal content packages and like seen how they've done something they're like no and I'm like why like that's like free content you literally can like learn how they're doing it for free and so like like whenever you have the opportunity to like invest a little time into those i think it it truly helps to bring your skill level up without even knowing it and so i think that kind of brings it to a a certain threshold but then then beyond that i agree like i think there's more of a like i think the film industry has already hit this point where there's so many specialists like there's compositors with lighters there's like there's like sublighters, there's like, you know, tweeners, there's like all these like kind of special skills. And those people are hired for those skills. And then they, later on in their career, they may branch into something else, which is totally normal. Right. I think the same thing is, is starting to evolve for game artists where it's like you come in as an environment, as a, as a prop artist, or you come in as a texture artist or a materials artist, and then you get more into learning material, like, you know, like creating materials in Unreal or like scripting or like, you know, uh, Houdini or something. And then you go into that kind of focus. It's like, I don't think anyone's expecting you to know everything right up front. But I think as a person entering the industry, look to what specialties are evolving. And those are the time, those are the places that you should try to think like, do these interest me? And should I invest a little time into learning those up front? Because that will make you even more hireable because you're already ahead of the curve of someone coming in then learning that and so like investing directly into that kind of specialty while also like you said knowing a little bit of the other kind of basic stuff will help you mm-hmm. to be more hireable like i would say like right now like graphics engineers like technical artists houdini people those folks are like man everyone's looking for those folks right now so like 
the people that know that are getting hired very quickly, even if they're at a junior level. And so continue to exa examine those kind of trends that are evolving. You'll, and you'll have an easier and better opportunity to find job right away comparatively to like having to work your way through the specialties to get to the one that you want. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but yeah, I think what you're saying is accurate is that because the industry is now evolving and has, you know, come out of the, the 90s basement era, right, of people building yeah. games for <laughs> time, you're now building an industry around things. And when industries explode, specialists are like the people who go to, you know, like generalists can can exist and, and the, you know, there's nothing wrong. I know plenty of people who are generalists and oh, works in studios, but then at the same time, yeah, like the guys who will move the quickest through the industry or, or get more opportunities you know, more rapidly are the people who can focus on one thing and do one thing really well um and it's it's hard i know personally because you know as a thing as well where i've loved all creative aspects of the industry you know like i love a bit of vfx i love a bit of 2d i love to draw still you know it's just a hobby for me um and 3d obviously now is what i do as a career but yeah it's hard to sometimes i think because uh, we just talked about it, right? Working on projects and multiple, multiple disciplines, multiple projects. You want to try and, as a creative, not stagnate or do one thing for too long because you want to keep your mind fresh and keep your experiences different. So I sympathize with people who are starting the industry because oh, you, you want to learn and do so many different things. But I think if you want to make a career out of it, then you need to find a niche and an, a, just a, a, a valley to focus down to, to hone those skills. Because that's going to be more essential and more valuable for people like you who are running studios, right? Definitely, yeah. And I think and just because you start learning one skill doesn't mean you can't switch mid-career. I, I know so many people that have switched mid-career as to what they're focused on. I've even known people that have started as environment artists and gone to character, then gone to vehicles or gone, you know, done whatever. And so it definitely happens. There's no like restriction as to what you can do. But I think, I think really identifying those trends will help long-term. Like I think uh, like one person I would definitely think in this scenario is like Andrew Maximoff. So like when I worked mm -hmm. at Andrew Maximoff at KickSci, uh, mm -hmm. he taught me a lot about PBR because it was a very emerging trend for a lot of game artists at the time. Like the right. Unreal 4 beta had just come out and like people were just starting understanding it. And because he educated me and like the rest of the team on it, it made it so it was on my radar as things that I should be aware of. And then when I applied right. at Bethesda soon after, they were looking for someone that actually knew how to do PBR to educate their team. So then that made me yeah. more hireable to go on to that next group. So all those things will help you to get to your next stage, even if it's something that you're not like, I'm super excited about PBR values. Like that's not really like <laughs> my like cup of tea. It's like be, wake up every morning and be like, yes, I love PBR. But it's like yeah. those, those kind of skill sets or, or bits of knowledge help you to achieve those next goals in your life for sure. Yeah, which I think is if you're involved in your career, you're always looking at the next thing, right? Because it's like, a thing I've discovered very recently, and I think me and me, we just had a, another another guest on who we talked about is a similar aspect. But getting your first job because you work, I'd worked for so many years to get to that point, and you're struggling, 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 struggling. Then you get your job, and you kind of sit down on day one, and you're like, "Cool, yeah." Why not? <laughs> <laughs> where have I got anything left to live for? What's left to do? You know, and you're, you're trying to think about the next signpost or the next milestone, or where do I go from here? And it's it's overwhelming because like he says there's so many even within environment art right you know i've known people who are surfacing artists who deal just in textures people who do lighting who do unreal work who do you know node-based stuff with with uh with blueprints you know like technical artists right there's so many aspects within even just that discipline and if we're talking about 2d jesus christ like there's just so many routes to go down that as well oh, so definitely. where do you think or what do you think is 
let's talk environment to just specify it down to one thing and not make the, the question too overloaded. But you talked about tech artists uh, right now and how that's a need as well. Do you feel like that's going to be the, the thing that, that needs to be focused on? Or do you think there's maybe one or two other things that are in the winds that people haven't quite caught on yet? Like even like with surfacing, right? Or with texture work or the reason that designer now is like so explosive that you can basically model in it. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel like there's, there's avenues that are, you know, I think it was at Forbes that said like 80% of the jobs that are going to be needed in the next 20 years haven't even been invented yet, right? So do you think oh, there's yeah. something something that's coming up that you've seen early on that you might want to dive into? Or Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it really all just depends on like, it really depends on the studio's needs, right? Because like every studio is, is based on their size, it's going to need something different. So like mm-hmm. when I say tech artists, that's more just like understanding the hybrid between understanding a bit of code, understanding a bit mm-hmm. of blueprint, understanding a bit of art, because like there's this need that's occurring between like a lot of studios where they'll have a really strong tech team that understands mm-hmm. the practice and, pro- and how to like make things work. And then mm-hmm. there'll be a bunch of artists that are kind of like junior or mid-level that don't really mm-hmm. have a lot of experience with any kind of programming or coding. And mm-hmm. so there needs to be this kind of hybrid between the two where it's like, okay, I've made a fence and I need to, populate in like an open world of like 5,000 fences and mm-hmm. the tech team's like, well, we don't have time to like make you a tool. And I'm, I'm and if they make it a tool, they, it's really rickety and not very artist friendly. And so like having yeah. this person in between that like understands both the needs is really, mm-hmm. I feel like really, really vital right now because you not only have to have good eye for art, but you also have to understand like, okay, how is this going to be applicable and also like performant? So like Mm -hmm. realizing all that is going to be really big. And then the other big thing I think is coming forward is like just a lot of like people that are really interested in tools in general. Like Mm. you got to think like, okay, we're coming to the age of Nanite where everyone's going to be making like 50 to 100,000 polygon assets. And Mm -hmm. like, it's going to be really heavy and hard to like manage and work with those. I've already had a lot of people complain at like Decagon about like, man, making the UVs on this like 200,000 polygon asset is like really painful. And so like, yeah, yeah. if you if you get to a state where you're interested in working in tools and like tools mm-hmm. for artists, like I feel like that's going to be a definitely a huge emerging trend because you're going to find that we need to do things faster to keep up with the same production that we have for years, but we also yeah. have to make things better and look more higher quality. And so like having tools is what's going to enable us all to be able to do that. And so like, those kind of hybrid between art and tech, I think careers mm-hmm. are really what's going to be a, a, a continuing to emerge. And I think into its own kind of field where you'll have like just our tech art teams on like larger yeah. studios, like much bigger than they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we just interviewed Marina who works at Splash Damage um, and uh, she's tech art there. And she was like, yeah, our team is only like four people at the moment and it's not a huge team, but yeah, she talks about like trading that fine line between environment art and coding. Like there's just such a, a parallel, which was crazy to me as well when I interviewed her and we had the whole conversation last week about, you know, which, you know, the episode just went live and people were really astounded like I was to find that Marina didn't know or wasn't good at math naturally in high school and leading up, like she self-taught all of the aspect of her, her career. And then with her love for art, combined the two right and then she's found this niche in the industry for herself because you know splash especially we're just so desperate for that void to be filled because it is one of the hardest things uh even tds and technical designers and technical directors and some projects the technical people are the hardest to find right now because there's a plethora of artists right there's you know you could throw a rock and like <laughs> 20 environment artists like but like you know people who also 
understand blueprints, can code, can work with shaders, can work in, in node-based systems and, and designer. Like those people are the the gold, the gold dust, right? That's the people that are hard to find. And I take it that's the same for you, right? Like within projects, if that's came up, that's been, you know, there's maybe only maybe like one or two people you know, right, who can do that well, as opposed to oh, definitely, 50. yeah. We we have we have. We'll have artists that come in and out of Decagon that work on projects and it will be based on their skill sets, right? They'll be really good at ZBrush or really good at texturing. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. great. I, 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 I uh, cherish those artists overall. But I would say like, we revisit no artists more than people mm-hmm. that work in tech because I'm like, I need this situation solved and I immediately go to them every time for almost every yeah. project. And I'm like, you're one of three people I know that might know how to do this. <laughs> do you have any idea how we could like solve this problem like that we're having yeah. with this? And so yep. like those just people are just infinitely hireable. Like they're just like, you're, mm-hmm. you're always going to have some kind of work for that. And to your point, yeah, like I definitely failed math many times in school <laughs> and I still like work in like material shaders and I love, I love material shaders, but like, I would say you don't need to know math for any of that stuff. It's just a matter of like yeah. you as a visual learner, you can learn how math is applied through visual context. And I think that's really what's important to understand. Like, don't feel like, oh, I can't get into that because I'm an artist. Like, there's tons of things that you can learn that are math based that don't mm-hmm. really need math application to understand it. Like you can you can visually understand how the math is is occurring. Yeah, yeah. I think that the math side of it and other program elements come in when you start to build those tools, right? When you want to physically build something that doesn't exist yet, then of course you need to go into a, a code level because there's nothing there at Definitely. all. So yeah, but the the shaders yeah. that already yeah. exist, especially with you know Unreal yeah. and, and other programs. They have been built so that you can use them as artists. You know, it's not like a barrier of entry where oh, I can't use this shader or these shaders because I don't you know Unity, I don't know Unreal. Like those things already have a preset UI, so you can learn them. Um, but you couldn't build them if you want to start building stuff. Use versus build is the is the direction that splits the math down the middle. So yeah, I mean, with the again now, especially because you've got a, such a long history in environment art, prop scenes. Is there anything you feel like? Is something you want to tackle within your specific discipline or maybe even within Decagon that you haven't quite crossed yet? Like, I mean, this is talking way down the line. This is like blue sky stuff. But would you want to start building your own games? Would you want to start maybe prefabbing and building things for yourself as a studio? Um, uh, I would say, okay, so unpopular opinion. Uh, oftentimes when I was on games, <laughs> I found that I just really didn't care about the design. Like I, I was like, okay, I respect the designers. I respect that their job is incredibly important. Like, and I respect that I need to follow the rules so that the game, that the game plays in a way that makes it fun for the player. All things right. I understand. Yep. But I guess like unpopular opinion and to like also why I enjoy being an outsource studio is that like mm. I can just focus on art. Like, I can right. follow the design guides that were provided by the, st- the studio, but it's not mm-hmm. to the point where I'm like collaborating with design and like coming right. up with ideas as to like how the player is going to interact. Like a lot of people love that. And I think that's great. Like mm-hmm. everyone's going to have different enjoyments of what they like about the game development process. Right. For me, it's more about like visual storytelling and mm-hmm. the emotional response almost in a, at a traditional art style level that the pl- mm-hmm. player or the person gets from viewing the environment. So like in that context, I think like, no, I wouldn't really be as interested in developing a game necessarily, unless it was in that kind of like, you know, spectrum of like aiming towards like making it an art based kind of game. Right. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's like, that I, I really like the avenue that we've kind of chosen just because we, we do get to focus so 
more exclusively on like developing the art overall. And so like for me personally, I think as I can kind of continue my like trek forward, mm-hmm. I think really what the things I enjoy is like, Hey, I love, I love just opening unreal and like seeing all the new tools each time there's a, a new <laughs> development and like getting to pra- put those into practice and like see mm-hmm. how that will enhance the art for sure. Right. And then the other thing is just like, I, I honestly just like every time I get to build a new environment and a new, new kind of like world, it's almost like, I'm almost like building a part of a film that I wish I could see. So like, I really right. enjoy continuing to do that based on my new interests per year that I get to make the, the asset or the scene. Yeah. I was going to ask you a really controversial question, but I don't think you want to answer that because <laughs> that's, that's okay. The, Go ahead. Feel free. The, so the trailer for the new Resident Evil film just dropped sure. and uh, they visit the Albert Manor, right? Yeah. You guys have just done that. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have just built a version of that or, or, or a take on that. Uh, do you feel like with with your projects you're doing, do you feel like, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, do you feel like you could almost build some of those those scenes or those games better within your structure of a studio versus like someone who's worked on those films? Do you think it's something where you have to almost be part of the game industry to really get when they transition those things? It's always something I've came across that I found when people try to transition game space 3d and cinematic design and storytelling into film industry stuff there's always a disconnect do you feel like it's the same i think there's like i think there's definitely a disconnect to some degree because like i read i saw a twitter twitter a twitter post the other day that i really liked it was like uh it was like it was like close your eyes imagine i forget what year fallout 3 came out and imagine you're looking at the grocery store about to enter it like in, in fallout 3 and i was like man, that was a really, really like intense, great moment of that game. Like you're like walking yeah. to the grocery store for the first time, it's abandoned and you're like, this is crazy. Like, what am I going to find in here? And I feel like yeah. what kind of gets lost in the Hollywood approach to making the game is that like, there's this hard kind of illusion or this feeling of, to capture that's like the feeling of personal exploration for how you're experiencing it directly as to relation to you. Because right. like games, like we're obviously controlling the 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 way we're perceiving what we're seeing, mm-hmm. and whereas film, it's a bit different. So I think like I don't, I honestly don't know if there's a perfect solution to that, but I think yeah. Hollywood kind of loses that feel of like it being a bit more personal to your experience, and so a lot of times it's just like the generalized idea of what this game was showing, and it's not so much about like that's not the point. It was more about like how spooky the manor was, or how like creepy that corner was, or like how you were like, like, you know, your, like your hairs are standing on end as you were going around this space, like exploring that area. And it's like, yeah, yeah. to try to be able to recreate that, I think takes a little bit more investigation as to like what generated that feeling to try to portray mm-hmm. that back into like a film. So like, mm-hmm. I think some films do it well, but I would say like overall it is, it is definitely more challenging to achieve that in a film than it is a game. Yeah, I think with games now, they're almost dwarfing films in a sense where the atmosphere they can build that's so one-to-one from the original idea. I mean, like, just talking about Resident Evil for a second, when you talk about Resident Evil 2, because that was obviously just released by Capcom recently, and I think they've done such an incredible job of rebuilding that game. Oh, definitely. Um, but then you find now, when I've looked at the new Resident Evil trailer for that film, The Welcome to Raccoon City, you can almost see one-to-one that they're just paralleling, parallel, paralleling, making a parallel of the game like the atmosphere, the mood, the art direction, the coloring, the way the structures are built. I mean, like, and they obviously revisit the the the, the mansion as well. So, like, I think it's where 
games in a sense can do certain things well when it comes to storytelling versus movies because as an interactive medium but i think it's always going to be i think you're never going to have a, a total balance between movies and games because you've only sometimes always got even like an hour like if you made a, a film even about fallout right and you had an hour and a half to tell that whole story like how would you do that like because there's such an expansive universe even within that right it's hard to condense it and it's short and it's just one thing um but then again it's like you can because it's not an interactive medium with, with film you can't have that walking in somewhere and looking up because if i look walking in a door and look right and you walk in a door and look left we're gonna have a different experience versus oh, someone who has to view it through a lens so it, it's the thing i feel that's missing within 3d um and films is that that interactive element but then that's like you're changing the mediums right we can't make games and, and movies have a baby and have some kind of perfect thing come out the bottom but i mean like is that something also you've also thought about or even interacted with as well do you do anything towards film design or 3d film designers are you just exclusively games no, we've done we've done uh, some like virtual set production here and there, like just really mm-hmm. smaller stuff. We, we it's not really definitely our focus. Usually, when it's a client that's just easy to work with that we like working with, uh, we'll do right. something with them like on that scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've worked with a few people on like broadcast design, so like whether it comes right. to like news or like sports mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That, again, that's just based on like having a good relationship with that client. But I, I would say most times we tend to always lean back into games being our primary focus, and it's right. like. Because we're kind of like, like we're kind of like you were saying, it's like it's like a work for hire scenario. So it's like right. if the artists aren't enjoying it, like it's not really a successful project. So right. I, I always typically try to find work that like we all are going to enjoy. Like everyone's going to the project's going to be like this is a fun project to work on. Like look at how cool these assets are. Or look at how neat the scene is. Like if you don't have the if there's no spark of imagination or interest, then it's going to be really hard for any artist to want to put their all into the project overall. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, even in a sense with that project, I mean, because, I mean, as relatively recent, I mean, 10 months ago, you know, we posted it, but with the Albert Manor, that was, that was a collective. Was that a collective or was that, were you just on your own in that one or? So that was, I would say it's about, that one was about, if I didn't measure, I'd say about 90% myself and then around 10% uh, other additional artists. So like the character in the scene that was uh, made by two artists, one worked on the cloth sim and another worked on the texturing and baking uh, and the gun for that character. And then Mm -hmm. I I had some support from uh, Kirk uh, Koopser. He helped me Mm -hmm. to work on the, a lot of the textures initially for the project Mm -hmm. when I was first starting out to try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from there, I just kind of just, I, like honestly it was a multi-year project so i just kind of would toy with it a little bit think about how i wanted to do something and then kind of like mm-hmm. experiment with some new unreal tool that came out and i'd be like okay cool like i see how this is being used let me use it in the scene somehow and then that right. kind of just collectively added on for years until the point where i was like all right i think this is a cool scene it's to like, actually release yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird even the way you get to those projects where you have something on your hard drive for like multiple years right because the power to, or the even the energy to build that up and go back and revisit it sometimes can be really difficult because... Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, for that, why was that an initial thing you... you like, Why did you approach it in the, the first instance and what kind of made you finish it? Sure. I, I think, like... I think when you get, like, small glimpses through a pl- project as to, like, mm-hmm. what the potential could be, it mm-hmm. really it re-energizes you as to like completing the whole scene. So like, yeah. it is extremely challenging. And this is one thing I, I so I teach a CGMA class. It, it goes on for like 10 weeks about environments, like modular environments. Mm-hmm. And I always tell students like, pick something you're really happy or excited about because 10 weeks may seem like a short time, but it's <laughs> going to seem like a slog in like week six if you don't like this environment. Like you're going to yeah, hate yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think just like, 
finding things in environments if you're working on your personal projects like that you're passionate about and like the mansion i don't know it's just it had a lot of like horror things that i've always wanted to explore when it came to like how the space was laid out or like Mm -hmm. just like storytelling vibes that i was able to achieve and so like yeah it just every time i would hit a a note that i'm like oh i I got this note that i was trying to hit or nail Mm -hmm. and i'd be like okay cool let me see if i can't continue this momentum into the next space that i wanted to fill out here yeah i mean i think that's one of the hardest things as well because people don't really realize and i I talk about revisiting because we're almost talking about motivation versus discipline where you can build something forever and ever but like the project only really comes together or that would have maybe just like hit the note of like this is what i want in the last 10 percent, right which is the hardest bit to get to because all up until that point is pre-production and building assets and texturing and like you know so was there a point i'm trying to think of the point where do you feel something's done like is there a point you were trying to get to in your head or do you think generally that just happens with experience well, <laughs> I yeah. guess like two two parts of that. One is when my wife yeah. my wife says, "Okay, you've worked on this long enough." <laughs> <laughs> that's the first. That's the first point where I start to question: Is it done yet? I can't. Yeah. Tell. yeah. And then the, other, the other point is where I would say, like, where I I I think when I when I feel like I'm getting an emotional response from looking at the piece, like when I can I like I can look back at the piece and say, like, does anything feel out of place or missing here, or, or am I? drawing on the emotional response that I wanted to get out of this. Mm. And uh, I would say that kind of lead, that kind of lends me into like another kind of route, uh, which is like, basically like there's kind of two types of environment artists when they're making something on their own. It's like one artist is a person that like determines what they want to make up front and then basically works to that. And then the other yep. person is me and like a, a, a bunch of other people I know. They kind of start with one thing and they definitely change that plan like 50 times throughout the process. And it's a much right. more organic kind of process to the point where at the very end, Really, honestly, what you end up with is almost nothing what you kind of planned at the beginning, except for maybe a few like references and cues overall. And so like, I think that to me is like when I get to a point at the end of the process where I feel like I hit the kind of major notes that I was trying to aim for at the beginning and it feels complete. That's that's where kind of where I start to feel like I can wrap things up for sure. Yeah, because I mean, at, at one point you've got to say things are done. I mean, I know they're never done, right? Nothing's oh, definitely. Ever finished. Yeah, yeah, but um. I mean, it's always one of these things, I think, now with technology and, and saving states and files that you could always, you know, open Unreal 5 at one point and just start diving into new stuff and see how you can improve. But yeah, there's a point where you can overwork something also and it's just too much. And then you have to start scaling it back and thinking, right, I'm just going definitely. You know, you start like moving everything in a wee version, like windows and stuff like that. And like every little broken bit of glass, you're like, right, okay, I need to stop messing with this stuff. It's done. Like there's too much. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult point to get to. But yeah, I think it's when you've got to almost come to because yeah you need your sanity but then is that something that you find hard on client work as well as personal stuff like when you obviously are directing the whole projects like and you're obviously delivering on what the client wants but is there a back and forth where you feel like you have to hold something off because it's not quite done or do you just have deadlines that you can't just avoid yeah i think i mean like when you work with a client there's like deadlines so i think there's there's always going to be a level of like unfinished that just yeah. just happens with when you have a deadline in place, there's always going to be a level that you don't reach that you may want to, well, may want it to. But like, mm. I think the important thing about being, that's the difference between being a, like a traditional or a commercial artist, like a traditional mm. artist that works, you can work on a painting for 12 years and then finally put it in a gallery when you're done. That's, that's your, your priority, man. You can choose whatever yeah. you want to do, however you want to do it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so it's like, that's, that's a traditional art path. But when you're working as a commercial artist, the, not, honestly, the only, the second biggest thing to being a good artist at that point is like 
knowing how to contain it within a time period. So like right. doing the same skill that you just did, but like knowing like, okay, I only have eight days to do this in, or I only have 20 days to do this in, or I only have mm. six hours to do this in. Like realizing like, even if you're not completely done with it, it has to be satisfactory by the time you reach that kind of in commitment. Uh, yeah. And that's really what's going to make you a continuously hireable commercial artist. Cause that, that's your role. It's like maintaining that kind of workflow within that given time. Yeah. And I think that's also where a lot of people end up burning out too, is because you get to this point where you're like, I've, I've trying to produce so much high quality content in such a short amount of time that you like, you don't take time to like recharge yourself in a traditional sense where you've like, you're just making art for the sake of making art. So I think finding that balance is really important for anyone in that role for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely felt like even there was a thing where I got my, my first paid gig, you know, versus like my first full-time gig where, you know, I, I think the first weekend I was working, you know, I'd, I'd worked like a full week, my first kind of full week of work. And I got to the end of like the, the weekend and I was sitting saying to myself, you know, oh, okay, I'll work on my personal scene or I'll do this or do that. But I'd, I honestly must have just sat most of Saturday and done nothing. Because for the first time, I think in like five years, I felt this weight just fall off me that there's money coming in this month. I can pay my bills. Like, oh my God, I can actually rest and like sit here and enjoy it. Like I made a whole post that like, I wasn't, for the first time in years, I didn't take my breakfast up to my desk to eat. I just like sat downstairs and, took 10 minutes just to chill because it's 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 hard it's almost like an ocd thing with people i know who are successful where you can't walk away from stuff like with your wife and with like your kid and stuff like it just must be tortured to think <laughs> i've got to pull myself away from my work i've got to go and but like do you feel like switching off for you is easier now or do you still feel like you're trying to almost like unhook yourself from the desk no i mean i, I don't think it gets i don't think it honestly gets any easier i think you just have to you have to force yourself sometimes to do certain things like i yeah. mean like like obviously like i want to be the best dad and like husband i can but i also like it's still really important to me to be like like enjoy my art like what i do is as art like I don't think, I don't think to the day I die, I would like, would ever be like, I'm just going to quit making art. Like, I just don't think it, it's, yeah. it's in me to stop. And so yeah. I think like you, you kind of, exactly what you said, you've got to, you have to find and force yourself sometimes to recoup mm -hmm. and relax or you'll, you'll just go insane and you'll burn yourself out. And it's, yeah. you'll find that the quality of your work and the care that you give <laughs> will diminish quite significantly if you don't make those times for yourself for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we even just, I spoke about that with someone recently as well and how the fact that I had money again and I had full-time employment and some kind of safety net, even for just now, it made me re-love art again. Because for so many years, the love just fell out of it for me. And I felt so many times like quitting and giving up and, and, and just didn't want to keep doing it because every time I sat down on my computer, I just felt depressed and felt so just drained. But then when funny enough the money came along and you know I left a really well-paid job as an engineer when I was 29 to come back and chase my dream which I've now accomplished thank god over many many years but um but yeah like being poor for so long and just living off savings it, it really was difficult and that first week of just thinking like oh there's a wage coming at the end of this month thank god it, it it reinvigorated me to be like I can do a personal scene now and I feel like staying up and doing stuff at the weekend because you know, there's not as much pressure anymore to get work or find work. There's that kind of like, I have money coming in, I have work coming in. So yeah, I think it's, it's mental health is something we don't talk about. And I watched a talk the other day with GDC where they talked about our mental health and work and how to deal with burnout and how they talked about how there's almost no veteran game designers or veteran artists in the industry, you know, maybe even over the age of 45 to 50, because, you know, I mean, there is some, but very rarely because people get so burnt out and have been so burnt out for the past 20 years of making games that they just get to a point where they're like, I'm done. I just don't want to do it anymore. And uh, 
I think it's like you said, you have to strike the fine balance or, you know, it's a marathon, right? Not a sprint. You've got to think about the end goal, the end game. You know, when people talk about my struggle of like, oh my God, it took you seven years since you left your job to find employment. Well, yeah, you know, I wasn't expecting it to happen six months after I left. Like uh, for some people, that's great. But I went through the whole education side and, and went to university. And when I left in 2012, Art Station wasn't even a thing. I mean, so you know, it, it's taken me this long. And, and again, because I've maybe dabbled in different stuff, but yeah, I think mental health is something that I've been conscious of the whole way. And, and I'm glad I think I've took stock now and again and stopped and took breaks because it took me longer, but I'm sane. <laughs> I'm still here with a level head on me. And that's probably what you're thinking, right? Going into like, you know, your later years that you want to still have consistency, but you want to still also, you know, like you said, be a good dad, be a good husband. So, yeah, I mean, is there anything you would kind of give advice for people in the industry right now getting into it that they think should pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like a few things. Like, well, first off is like crunch. Like crunch is crunch is rough. And I, I've mm. done my share of crunch. But I honestly, at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't believe in crunch. Like I don't like crunch. <laughs> like I think if I've committed myself, if I've personally said that I'm going to do something in a certain amount of time, and I have to crunch to do that, then sure, that's fine. Because I've, I've made that promise to myself and whoever was my employer. But right. if it's if it's mandated crunch for no real reason, then like stand yeah. up for yourself, like say something, like be yeah. be an advocate for yourself and those around you that, that don't have the confidence to do so. Because right. if, if game artists don't stand up for themselves about crunch, the same yeah. thing that's happened to film will happen to us. We will all be crunching seven days a week 12 days an hour like 12 12 hours yeah, yeah, yeah. a day that that will happen to us if we're not careful we have to like make sure that we're like advocates for each other uh yeah. that's the biggest one and then the other one is like i think take time to reflect like when you're doing something and you've done it for so long and if you feel like you're so like say you've worked on a project for like 12 months and you've been crunching for that time and you get mm -hmm. to the point where you're like i don't know when this is going to end like stop and say to yourself like when it ends are you going to be happy at when it ends anyway like is is there any is there any enjoyment that you're still going to receive if it is or isn't ended like does it matter mm -hmm. and if it doesn't then really like rethink re about like where you are like maybe you should be doing it like a different type of role or maybe you should mm -hmm. be a different studio or maybe you should be doing all kind of different project like mm -hmm. reevaluate don't don't be afraid to reevaluate where you are just because you change like you just said like would you just because you change what you're doing doesn't mean that you're a failure at either the things that you were doing before or the things that you're going to do in the future. It's just a, yeah. that you're reevaluating what your current state is, what your current mindset is, and what you should be doing for yourself. And so I think taking those times is the healthiest, healthiest thing you can do for yourself to really be sure like you're content with the decisions that you've made up until now and you're content mm -hmm. to continue to with that decision that you've made moving forward. Because it's like, if you're not, then change it. Like mm -hmm. I'll hear a lot of artists that I've talked to in the past be like, oh, like, I'm doing this or like I'm doing this and I don't like it. And it's like, then work to change it. Like, are you like working to do anything to like change what situation you're in? And it's like, if yeah. the answer is no, then like, why not? Like, why aren't you like working to like better the state that you're in right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree hundred percent. I think, you know, I, I even know people who have been in really uncomfortable situations and their goal was to like, you know, do the day job, but then when they come home at night, they're crunching to do stuff. But that's in an end result of moving studios, finding another employment, moving exactly. industries, changing job roles. So, I mean, there's always, and I think like he says, if, you know, there's a point you get to, I mean, it, it was always a thing I never understood early on, but there's a point you'll get to within your art where you're hireable, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to be 
your level, like Clinton's level, to just get work, right? There's a level where you'll hit and people are like, you're good enough. I can hire you. I can trust you to make things. Here's money. Um, so never be sitting at your desk thinking, I'm never going to find work. I'm never mm. going to, if I leave, I'm never going to, I'm never, you will. I mean, and I left one of the most secure jobs in the UK, <laughs> working as an engineer to go and be another thing, which is an artist. And people told me, you know, like, you know, I'd never do this. I'd never do that. I've done it all. You know, I've, I've run a podcast for five years. I've left my job and lived off savings. You know, I've, I've entered the industry that's potentially one of the most difficult industries to enter. Like, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And like, and if you're already in a position where you're already working in a studio, you'll find another studio. It's not an impossible thing to do. Um, and I think that's also probably why Decagon exists, right? Because for many years crunching, for many years working within studios, like you just enjoy now maybe the freedom you have to pick and choose your projects, pick and choose your clients, pick when you're taking a break or a gap or you're maybe leaving a bit time for work and time for family. So, um, which is, a, a, you know, we both know is a luxury, is something that not everybody gets to do, but um, you've also worked very hard to get to where you are, like to have that luxury. So, um, yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I, I totally understand that like not everyone's economical social status is going to provide mm-hmm. them that's easy of an opportunity to make that change to themselves. But I would just say like, if there is a, if there is a way that you can possibly change your scenario and you think that there is, then like, go for it. Like you said, like mm-hmm. crunching for yourself is a lot different than crunching for someone else. Like yeah. if, you're work, if you're working hard for yourself to achieve that next goal that is beyond the scenario you're in now, that is yep. worth the time and effort to reach that goal, you know? Yeah. And so like setting setting those like standards for yourself and realizing like, yep. okay, if I make the changes now, then I'll see the long-term benefits overall. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that's one of the things they talked about in that talking GDC is that, you know, if you're crunching, you know, for yourself, that's one thing. But when you're doing it for a client, it's like, well, where is that payoff going to be? When you crunch for nine to 10 months and then you finish that project, the guys at the top are reaping the benefits. You know, the guys who own the company, the guys who are pitching it, you're just going to go back to being you. Like, you, you, what have you gained within that that spell? And if it isn't something that's personally achievable, then why are you doing it? Like, why sacrifice that part of you? You know, because at the end of the, you know, to get <laughs> deep and philosophical, as I think all artists get in their life is that, you know, you're only here for a finite amount of time. And time is something you'll spend and never get back. So if you spend all that time in the pursuit of someone else's dream, you have to make sure it's worth it and that it's going to pay back to you dividends because, then it's just a waste. Then it's something that you're never going to get back. You're never going to be able to recoup. And uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult balance to find because, you know, I heard somebody talk about how you can be picky with your first job as a junior and try to think if the studio's the right fit for you. But then also you're a junior, right? You want a job. You're desperate for that work. You want to get your foot in the door. So sometimes you just have to make sacrifices at the start and it's just part of the industry. But then that exists, i found, in every industry in the world is that, your first job is always going to be the most difficult or the one you have to make the most sacrifice on. But then if you have a goal, if you have a plan, if you have a, an aspiration to move forward and get better, then you will get to a point where you get to pick a studio to work out or you pick the projects you work on. So the initial stuff is hard, but there is a payoff in the end, right? Definitely, yeah. And I think like like back to what I was saying about like being an advocate for others, like you, we were all in that junior point at one point, right? And we all mm-hmm. were maybe at a studio we didn't like to work at because of the culture or we just didn't like something about it. Like whatever yeah. studio you're at now, make it so that juniors want to be at that studio and they enjoy their time there. Like, you know, like you know I'm saying, like, it's like, why, why continue the trend? Like make yeah. it so that people around you enjoy being with you and around you enjoying the stu- like the studio life that they're in right now. So it's like, Try to find ways to like make it so the culture gets better a- across the industry instead of like worse, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's just that we could open this can of worms for all day and talk about this, about just studio culture and how a lot of the studios that exist now have existed for many years, you know, for 90s, 2000s games and stuff like that, where it was a different time and place to make games and the studios were different areas to work in. And yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's creating a safe space for people to feel confident that they can almost fail to an extent or, or do bad things, but then no get chastised for it or no get like thrown out the door because they're making mistakes you know everybody's learning everybody's wanting to be in there and you know even now i'm talking to a couple of guys i know who are senior and art directors sat us in some triple studios and they're talking about some of the hardest things they're finding is finding you know juniors that are confident to come in the door and help them because there's so many seniors in the industry now or so many people at the like you said the niche or the specialization that finding journalist roles or people at the bottom rung is super hard because they're either burnt out or so disillusioned with the industry they don't want to take any jobs so it's a balance again you have to strike with studios is that you want people coming in the door but you don't want them petrified walking through the door right that's the exactly. hardest thing as well yeah 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 inspire confidence so that, that people will feel confident enough to do their job because like honestly everyone's nervous their first day or like first time they've done something it's like mm. but i still get imposter syndrome like every day like it's a, such oh, yeah, a yeah, common yeah. thing for everyone to be like can i yeah. am i supposed to be doing what i'm doing right now and am i doing it right <laughs> that's just a common you, thing you'll, you'll you never sure you're gonna pay me yeah yeah <laughs> i mean like, I've, I've i've had like people in this this podcast where like yourself or people who have had this whole catalog behind them and they're like are you you're sure you want to interview me, right? Like you, you want to talk, <laughs> you're a hundred percent. Like you're not, I'm like, no, no, seriously. Like it's, it's your one on, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to get because even now I put stuff out where people are like, oh, that's great. That looks amazing. And I'm like, really, really? Like, <laughs> as, but then I was watching Chris Doe the other day on the future podcast and he was talking about uh, detachment, right? Where like, once you make art and you put it out, you have to detach yourself from it because it's no longer yours. It's the mm -hmm. world. So he was like, you know, a good way to look at your art is like, what if you didn't post that? What if it was like, if I posted something and you posted it, it was a Clinton's work. How would I, how would I criti criti criticize that work? How would I look at it differently? You know, it's the same like when you post anything. Like, if you, imagine you weren't posting it. Imagine something you found on Twitter, right? Now look at it with fresh eyes. How does it look different? And that's the thing I think people need to do in this industry to also avoid burnout and also just the mental health strain is like, Try and detach yourself from your work and understand that your whole being isn't in this piece. I mean, you can give it love and care and attention when you work in it, but once it leaves your hands, try and just like push it away, separate yourself from it, and then try and view it objectively because people get so personal, especially a lot of juniors I talk to are so personal about their work that like if they make something in Maya for 10 hours and post it and you try to start critiquing it, they just fall to bits. And you try to understandably tell them that, I'm not saying that you are a bad artist, that you have done something wrong. Just on this particular piece, that is something I feel you could fix. And it's it's a hard disconnect. I totally get it where, like, even when I was internet access and, and I would do something either wrong or would, you know, misconstrue something that we're saying, I would get this gut feeling like, oh, my God, like, I feel so horrible. But they were like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, it's, it's okay. Just keep going, keep pushing. You're, you're doing okay. Um, and even at my first couple of weeks of my new job, like, everything I was posting, I was like, is this cool? Are you guys enjoying this? And like when people were like, oh my God, this looks amazing. Like you're doing such a good job. I was like, oh my God, I was like in tears. I was like, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, but that must be a worry for people work with Decacon as well, especially because you guys have such a huge name now, right? Like people are worried when they come in almost to an extent. 
Yeah, but I mean, I think like I mean, we have like a like an uh, like an onboarding like web page and, and like like site that we we kind of run where it's like it makes it very clear like we, all of us are our learners like no one's like perfect like we're all gonna make mistakes like every, yeah. every single person is gonna make a mistake including management yeah. like on a regular basis like mm-hmm. it happens we're all human so I think like yeah. just having that expectation up expectation up front makes it mm-hmm. easier for people to be like okay like just do the best you can. And if you have questions, like ask them, like no one's afraid of like to answer a question or ask a question. So I think that's, that's kind of the studio culture that I try to like make sure that is consistent through Decagon is that like no one feels like they're so out of the loop that they can't ask a question and be like belittled or anything of that nature. Like we we make it very clear that it's like, if you have questions, I'd rather ask it than like just be like in the dark. So like try to find ways to like educate yourself or like ask others if you're unsure. Yeah, I mean, like I, I know someone I've sat next to even at university who was like, "I want to ask my lecturer how you open this file," but I think he's going to laugh at me if I do. And I'm like, "Dude, like, you're at university, for. you're learning." <laughs> like, ask him. I'll tell you. Ask me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what you're there for. That's what you're paying those dollars to literally sit in that desk for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you know the conversations went a different way than I thought it was going towards the end, but I'm glad it did because I think there's not enough talk about mental health, being productive, the long-term goals for artists, like there's a whole thing that people avoid where, you know, like, uh, you know, I just told you I had Mary Sue on and I think one of the greatest things we talked about was like how she at one point moved just because of her partner and she wanted to be closer and, and be, have that more family orientation for, from where she was from. Where I've speak to so many people over the last five years in this podcast who are like the biggest art directors and, and, and the biggest studios and, you know, their constant drive was moving, finding new work, moving, getting better, finding new work. And, I was almost like, is there a person in there? Is there a human element? Like, <laughs> you, like sure. do you eat? Do you sleep? Do you, yeah. like, you know, like, you know, people like, uh, you know, talking even like people like, you know, Vitaly and, and guys who like, you know, who will move hotkeys to a different key so their pinky can hit it quicker. So it saves them 30 minutes on one model versus 10. Like, people at that extent are like what we call the unicorns in the industry, right? People who, are super well done and have these incredible careers, but they're rare. They're, they're like the exception to the rule. Whereas there are people I know, even people to think, you know, I know guys in the industry who don't have art stations, are never online, don't even have a Facebook, but they go every day to a studio and do work and then mm-hmm. come home and sit with their family. Like there can be that. There can be people in this industry that exist where, you know, you don't have to run your own studio, you don't have to run a podcast, you don't have to be an art station all the time, posting constantly. You can have a life outside of your work, you know? So, I mean... It, it's, it's something we need to talk about more and I think you'd be an advocate for it as well is that it's not spoken about enough but kids have this view of the industry that it's impossible again it's impossible to stay in once you're in you know it's impossible to find work it's super hard it's the most challenging thing you'll ever do you know I still play video games I still have time down outside of my work where I do things you know like you can have a life working in this industry because like any industry it's a job you know you have hours and I think like you said you talked about earlier where crunch has been so prevalent in the news that people think that's just part and parcel of the industry right that's just something they're going to have to deal with at one point they're going to have to be in the studio 100 hours 150 hours a week or whatever it's going to be something stupid and uh, and we need to change that that narrative we need to make sure that going forward if you want it to you know like you say not turn into the film industry and, and be sustainable for people to have work-life balances we need to be vocal about that stuff and I think even myself, like I've talked about like unionization, I think it's a great thing for the industry as well. And something like that would be great for just people coming in the door and going out um, so that studios can't just close and people are left with, with nothing. So um, 
but a bigger can of worms than we can probably get any of the day, Clinton. It's 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 a huge extent. I mean, if you want to just any anything closing on that, just you want to kind of ride out and you say. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I think you, you essentially what you said. You make all you make all really good points when it came to that because it's like it's it's really just about like establishing what you like. Easiest said is like when you die what do you want to look back and be like i did with my life like do you yeah. want to be like i just worked on video games or do you want to be like mm. i did this i like was into skiing i also mm. made video games like what what are the what are the things you want to culminatively say that you did in your lifetime that makes you mm-hmm. happy that you lived your youthful years doing this your older years doing this and you know then you died like yeah. <laughs> it's like if, if if you can't reflect back on those things even now and say i enjoyed those years that i just spent then you're in mm-hmm. trouble. Like, make a change because, like, it's only, you're only going to get older and you're only going to have less yeah. time over time. So, like, yeah, make those changes now before it's too late. And you're looking back and being like, man, I just crunched the last like 15 years of my life and I don't have anything <laughs> to show for it, nor did I care. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not good, you know. Like, so like yeah, yeah. finding ways to really reflect. I think self reflection is the biggest thing. Just constantly self reflect, like, what it is that you want and then what it is that you can change. It's the big two yeah. things for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I agree. Um, well, I think that's a good a good note to end it on. Um, and and yeah, that was a, an amazing discussion. Yeah, definitely went a, a couple of different avenues and routes, but I, I, I overall enjoyed just chatting with me, Clinton. It was a great honour to have you on the podcast, and thanks again for giving up your time and coming to talk to us. Yeah, man, same thing. I had a great time, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> if you guys have listened to this point, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, check out uh, Clinton's work. I'll leave uh, like Sadiq gone and his personal pages down below. You guys can check them all out. And uh, yeah, if you've got any questions, you can reach out. I'm sure he's a sociable guy. He can, he can help you at any stage if you need anything. And uh, yeah, uh, check us out on different platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, loads of different services. And of course, we can live on YouTube. Um, you know, we have most of our records up there and you can leave comments down below or any likes or dislikes. Um, and yeah, just uh, check it out. Uh, other posts we have are up on the website also and if you have any other suggestions for guests again leave them down below or you can join our discord and, and chat away there we have about 200 300 members now so we, there's a good little community going in there you can you can chat and, and share that art so yeah um thanks again for you guys for listening thanks for clinton again for coming on and uh we'll catch you guys in the next episode thanks guys bye